Good morning, church. All right, so uh, I'm going to spare you. I was going to sing the first verse to Beyonce is irreplaceable. <laughs> but uh, so this morning I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses. Uh, the emphasis of this passage is discipleship and evangelism. Nevertheless, I will read the lyrics, though. I'm not going to sing, but I'll read them to you. All right, so this is the first verse, and I think Beyonce, uh, you, you guys will get my point, hopefully, uh, once I sing through the, the first verse and, and the hook. Um, Beyonce goes to the left, to the left, everything you own in the box to the left. Yes, I bought it. If I, if I bought it, please don't touch and keep talking that mess. That's fine, but can you walk and talk at the same time, and it's time and it's, and it's my name that's on that jag, so come move your bags, let me call you a cab. Standing in the front yard telling me how I'm such a fool, talking about how I'll never ever find a man like you. You got me twisted. You must not know about me, you must not know about, right? So, so pretty much like, the song is called Irreplaceable, and the, the, the point that Beyonce is trying to make is that, listen, you think you're all that, but I could find another, another you in a minute, right? And, and much in the same way in evangelism, we're going to see that the Bible says all authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And so therefore, as his disciples and as his followers, he calls us to go out and evangelize in his power, right? So God doesn't need you. My coach used to tell me when I played basketball, we, we could use you, but we don't need you, though. We still win without you, right? And much in the, much in the same way... Much in the same way, God with his disciples, Jesus Christ, he doesn't need you. Nevertheless, we're indispensable in furthering and advancing his kingdom. Does that make sense? And so I think Beyonce and the Apostle Paul would correlate when, when Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, though we have this treasure in earthen vessels, though we have this treasure in jars of clay, right? We have such a precious gift, which is eternal life, and he gives it to feeble, weak men in order that the power of God may be displayed in us, right? So Beyonce is saying, you must not know about me. I can have another you in a minute, right? And so in the same way, God is saying, listen, my power is not contingent on you, but nevertheless, you are indispensable in me furthering my kingdom. And so when we go out, we have the confidence to go out in the power of Jesus' name, knowing right, that God is working through us as he's bringing people to himself, right? And so that brings us to our text in Luke chapter 5. If y'all can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version, so y'all going to have to forgive me. <laughs> right. It says, so it was... As the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. Now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, 
We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And now Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Why don't y'all pray with me real quick and then we get started. Father God, uh, so thankful for your steadfast love. So thankful that despite our sin and your love for us, Father God, you recklessly pursue us and you sent your son, Jesus, that the world through him might be saved. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you restore us. There's some of us here this morning who feel as though our sin disqualifies us, but nevertheless, you tell us do not be afraid as you did with Peter. And Father God, we pray, O oh Lord, that we experience your restoration power and that we would be empowered by your spirit to go out and further and advance your kingdom. We pray that you bless us. We pray that you bless, we bless you. All these things we ask for in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 5. In the previous chapter, Luke chapter 4, right, several things have taken place. First, Jesus was baptized by the Holy Spirit, and afterwards he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he comes into the city, and he's casting out demons. Right? He's rebuking demons, and he's rebuking fevers, and he's doing all of these miraculous wonders and signs. Right? And now we come to chapter 5, the Bible talks about the word being accompanied by the power, right? So we see Jesus doing all these miraculous signs by his power, and now we see the word being accompanied by power, right? So in Luke chapter 5, we, we see Jesus is being pressed about by the multitude. People from everywhere want to hear the word of God, right? They're pressing about him so much so that he doesn't have any space. He has to grab one of the boats, so that he could use a boat as a pulpit to teach and get his voice out so that the multitudes could hear him. Right? And so when I think about how the, the multitude were pressing about Jesus, I kind of thought about Black Friday, right? right? On Black Friday, we know that retailers reduce prices to, to deals that are just like hard to put off, right? And everyone is pressing to get in, into whichever store it is that they're trying to get their, their, their new gadgets or their new toys for their kids or for their girlfriends, for their loved ones. Right? Like this is a, this is a, a, a price that I can't put off, right? And much in every way, this was the disposition of the multitudes. Like, wow, Jesus is preaching the word of God. Jesus is preaching the very thing that's going to give me eternal life. My question to us this morning is, how is our disposition when it comes to God's word? In Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says that, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Are we, do we long for God? Do we long to see him? Right? Because he longs to see us. Right? And so we see 
In verse 2 it says, And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So now we see Peter, John, and, and the sons of Zebedee, they pretty much clocked out, right? <laughs> you know when you had a long day at work <laughs> and you just you can't wait to get home, right? These are fishermen, they, they, they're washing their nets, they done clocked out, they're like, listen, I've been working all night, I'm done. Right? I got a wife at home, trying to watch the game, and eat all day, right? Y'all know how it is, right? And so they, they were done, right? They're washing their nets. There were many their nets for the next day's work. Then Jesus comes, and he gets into one of the boats. He says he gets into Simon's boat, and then he asks him to put out from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the multitudes, right? So now we see Jesus using this boat, and the boat, as if you could say, is transformed into a pulpit. Right now, in first century Palestine, for rabbis, when they would teach, they would sit. Right? So much in the same way I'm standing here, I'm preaching before you, their, their position was to sit and teach you. Right? So here we have Jesus, he's teaching the multitudes the word of God. And then he gets Peter to get into the boat with him to put out into the, and put out into the sea a little bit so that he can have volume to preach to the multitudes. Right? And so Peter's in there, he's like, sure. Yeah, why not, Jesus? I, I'll paddle for you. Right, just as long as you're not doing anything more than teaching. I know you're a teacher, you know, you're a carpenter. We we could stay at that. Right? And that's like that's like a lot of us. Right? Like a lot of us like Jesus when he's convenient for us. Right? On Sunday, we come to church. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, etc., you kinda you stay there. Right? But Jesus is invading Peter's personal space because he's wanting to show Peter that not only am I the Lord of your of your, of your job, but I'm the Lord of your whole life, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says that you were bought with a price, therefore glorify the Lord with your body and your spirit. And then he also says in Romans chapter 12, he says that by the mercies of God, we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, that we may serve him and please him, right? So Jesus literally gets into Peter's boat, which is symbolic of his life because he's a fisherman by trade, this is what he did. This is what his dad did. This is what his great-granddad did, right? Like this, is the, this is Peter's enterprise. This is how he made a living, right, fishing, okay? Now, verse 4, notice what Jesus says. He says, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, right? So there's a, I'm not a fisher. I've never been fishing, but in my study, this is what I've seen, right? So fishermen, they ain't fish during the daytime, right? Because the fish would see the fishermen when they were going out to cast the nets to catch them. So they would go out to the deep end, and they would go down below surface level so that the fishermen can catch them, right? So it was during the night that the fishermen would come out and they would fish because then the fishes would come closer to the shore and rise to surface level so that it was easier for them to catch them, right? So Jesus is telling Peter, cast your net into the sea. Peter's like, what are you talking about, right? Like, um, for those of y'all, some of y'all know I, I substitute teach, right, uh, elementary school. I remember one time, I think I was at South Lake Elementary, and um, I was doing math rotations with some of my kids, and we were doing two-step word problems. And I don't claim to be a, a math whiz, 
right? And for all my elementary school kids here, I'm not saying anything about you, right? But I think I know more math than an elementary school kid, right? So, so we're, 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 I'm going through the problem, the, the two-word math problem, and then the kid's telling me, nah, you're, you're, not, you're not doing it right. Yeah, it's, it's this. I'm like, type down. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. I think I know what I'm doing, right? And so we, we, can, we can see, right, with Peter and, and Jesus, this is the same thing. You got to think. Peter is a fisherman by trade. Jesus is a carpenter by trade, right? Peter's been doing this. So for Jesus to tell Peter at this time to cast a net into the sea, Peter looking at him like, dog. Okay, I know you're a man of God. I know you, you teach the word and that's good. You're a carpenter. You know what I'm saying? But you, you stay there. This is my room. This is what I do. Right? But notice, again in verse 4, notice when Jesus says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It's not as though Jesus is hopefully wishing that, hmm, maybe this time perhaps he's going to throw his net into the sea and catch some fish. Right, like, you know when something's not working and, and, like, your brother, like, is trying to, like, fix something and you say, oh, let me, let me come and try. Like, m- perhaps my touch will, will, will fix it. Right, this is, not what's, this is not what's happening here. Right, when Jesus says, cast your net into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, right, he's assuring Peter that by his word, the thing that he commands is going to come to pass. You see that? And that's important for us as disciples and evangelists. Right? Again, it's not, we don't go in our power. We go in the power of Jesus. And so when he says, let down your nets for a catch, he's saying this is going to happen. Right? And so this, this reminds me of certain passages in Scripture. As you guys know, in Psalm 33, verse 9, he says, For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That takes us to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Right in John chapter 1, verse 3, it speaks of Jesus. It says, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it talks about how Jesus literally upholds all things by the word of his power. Nothing in this life comes of its own accord. Everything is contingent on the word of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he says that Christ is before all things, and in him all things consist. Right? So we're seeing when, when Jesus tells Peter, yo, cast your net into the sea, he's not wishing that he's going to catch fish. He's telling him, you will catch fish, because everything is obedient to my word. All things are upheld by my word. You see that? All things are upheld by my word. Uh, let, me, let, let me take you to Psalm, Psalm chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. It says, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. Right? This, in the beginning, was speaking to Adam. But now Jesus, he became a man. And so this verse is applicable to Jesus. It says, you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen. Even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. Job 12. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but I want to drive this point across that Jesus is Lord of all. That Jesus has dominion over all things. That Jesus has authority over all things. 
And it's in his authority that we go when we evangelize. Look at Job 12, verses 7 to 10. But now ask the beast, and they will teach you. And the birds of the air, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these things does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In, those, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Right? So, again, cast your net into the deep of the sea. It's going to happen. Right? We read in, in one of our responsive uh, scripture readings, we looked at Mark chapter 4. When Jesus and his disciples were in the boat and there was a, was a huge sea storm. Right? And, and they're, they're scared. They're like, yo, Jesus, like, wake up. This, this, this storm is crazy. Like, you, you don't care about us? And what does Jesus do? It says he rebukes the wind. He rebukes the sea. He says, peace, be still. And it was still. And the disciples in the boat like, yo, hold on. He just spoke to the sea and the sea. What manner of man is this? Right, and that's what we're going to see here, that Peter realizes this is not just any ordinary man, right? And when we realize that the one who we serve is not no ordinary man, perhaps that may change our disposition as to how we go about advancing this kingdom. All right. So look at what he says in verse 5. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. I will let down the net. Right, so part of me feels like Simon Peter, when he's told to cast his net into the sea, part of me feels like Simon Peter wants to show up Jesus. Like, okay, you think you know what you're talking about? All right, let me, let me cast this net into the sea. Let me show you, right? With all of his expertise, right, with all of his experience, with all of his knowledge of what it means to fish, Nevertheless, he obeys Jesus' word. Right? You got to think, he fished all night and didn't catch a thing. And now in the morning, you're telling me to cast my net into the sea? Despite his circumstances, right? Despite his inability to catch fish, despite his his hard work and toil, nevertheless, he obeys Jesus' word. Right, Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Again, we looked at the necessity of God's word for all things, right? And because we know that God's word is necessary for all things, it then gives us the confidence to do what it is that he commands us to do. We're not going in our own strength. We're not trying to persuade men by our excellency of speech or our knowledge, right, or our expertise, Right? We go in knowing that we're doing God's will and that his word will not return to him void. So we see here, he says, all right, yeah, we told all night, but nevertheless, at your word, at your word, at your word, I will let down my net. Right? So part of faith is acting it out. Right? Like, any of y'all listen to me goes, walk it like I talk. Right? Like, it's, you, you, gotta, you gotta act it out. Right? 
faith without works is, is, is dead. Right? And, and there's something about experiencing God that will then help us to see the rewards of faith. Right? So you notice, if, if Peter doesn't throw his net into the sea, then we don't have to catch a fish. Much in every way, if God is telling me to do something and I don't obey him or take him at his word, then I don't, I don't see the results or the reward of faith. Right? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that, listen, if anyone comes to God, he must believe that he exists, that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's a reward to be had when you take God on his word. There's a reward that, that can be had when you believe in God's word and you act on his word. Right? And so, and so we see that. You believe, you see the reward of your faith. Right? And, and it's, not that, it's not that God's power is contingent on our ability to do what he says, but it's through faith in his word that we experience the power of his word. And God is in the business of wanting to surprise his people. Now, this is not to say that this is going to be your experience every time. I'm not saying that, right? But God is wanting us to take him at his word. And when we continue to take him at his word, our faith and our trust in him continues to grow. So we look at verse 6. It says, and when they had done this, they caught, in great no- they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Right? So if I'm Peter and this happens, I know for one, this is not of my own doing. <laughs> I didn't do this. Couldn't have been me. Because I've been fishing all night. And I ain't catch nothing. Right? This is, this is a paradox. Like this does not happen. In all of Peter's years of fishing, during the daytime... He catches a multitude of fish, so much so that their nets are, are, are breaking and their ships are sinking. This doesn't make any sense. All types of stuff is going on through Peter's head right now. Like, what's going on? This is unlike any experience that I've had. Right? And that's what God has wanted to do with us. Right? Sometimes God tells us to do some of the weirdest things. Like, mm, that don't make sense, God. Right? Like when, when God spoke to Abraham and Sarah and he said, listen, y'all old and you barren, but you're going to have a child though. And Sarah's laughing like, I'm going to have a child. Do you know, right? And God's like, why are you, why are you laughing? Sarah's like, no, I wouldn't laugh. Right, that, that's what God does. <laughs> right, that's what, that's what he does, right? Sometimes God calls us to things and it's just like, uh, that don't make no sense. It's not adding up, right? But nevertheless, nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word. I remember one time uh, when I was at Bullis, it was my senior year, we went on like a little retreat. And you know how you do like the little trust fall game? You got to deliberately allow yourself to fall. And I had about maybe eight kids on each side with their hands out to catch me. And my dumb self... (laughs) spread out my arms as if, as if spreading out my arms would give me more support than 16 hands. And I accidentally end up whacking one of the girls in her face, right? But it's like, isn't that, isn't that how, we, she was fine. She was, she was good. But, 
But isn't that how we, isn't that how we are, though? Right? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge the Lord, and he will direct your paths. Right? Even when things don't make sense, even when you feel like you're incapable of doing what it is that God has called you to do, because we know that if we take him at his word, his word is a short thing, and now it gives us the ability to do what it is that he asks us to do. All right? Now look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Right? There's a motif, and there's a pattern in Scripture. We read this earlier, too, in Isaiah chapter 6, the first eight verses. Whenever someone comes in the presence of God, it's not until you come into the presence of God that you get a proper view of who you are. Right? It's when, it's when I see Jesus for who he is, that is when I can begin to have a comprehensive understanding of who I am. Right? Because you think, Peter catches a multitude of fish. <laughs> Peter could have been like, yo, we hit the jackpot. Who is this Jesus guy? Hey, stay with us, man. We're going we gonna to catch some more fish. Right? And his business would have been booming. Like his business would have been popping. Right? But notice, that's not his first reaction. That's not his reaction. His reaction is, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Right? Because at that point, it had registered in his mind, this is not no ordinary man who's in my boat. This is the creator of heaven and earth. This is the possessor of all things. This is the one who spoke and it stood fast. Right? The Bible says in John chapter 1 that the light has come into the world. Right? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot overcome it. You ever sleeping, right? You're having a nice sleep, and then your mom comes in the room, and she, she turns on the light, right? You're not like, oh, man, thank you for turning on the light, right? You're just like, like my, turn, turn it off. Turn it off, right? Quick, right? Because we've been acquainted with the darkness for so long that we're uncomfortable when the light shines on our darkness, right? And that's what's happening with Peter, Peter is saying, wow, I'm a sinful, sinful man. And I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And most of us feel this way. Most of us feel like our sin disqualifies us. Most of us feel self-hatred and condemnation when Jesus is speaking to you another word. Even I myself. Right? It's interesting because I've done worse things when I was a Christian than when I wasn't a Christian, right? And, and as a pastor or intern, there are things that I've done that I think disqualify me from even being up here and preaching before you, right? For some of you guys who know me on a more personal level, it's kind of hard to come forth and preach the word of God when people know your mess, right? It's, it's easy when people don't know your mess. You can hide it. When you're close enough with people where they can see a more comprehensive view of who you are, it's hard to do certain things, right? And this is what Peter is now experiencing. He's now experiencing the nearness and the closeness of God, so much so that his light is shining on his darkness, right? But notice Jesus' words. He said, do not be afraid, in verse 10. That's the beautiful thing about Christ. He says, I did not come to the world that I might condemn the world, 
I did not come for the righteous, but I came to draw sinners to repentance. Right? A lot of us, we, we feel condemned and a lot of us feel disqualified and a lot of us feel as though God cannot use us because of our sin, because of our mishaps, because of our past. Right? Because of addictions and strongholds that we can't seem to, to set ourselves free from. Like, God, how could, how could you pursue me? Why would you be interested in me? Like, you, you talking to me? Like, nah, you must be talking about someone else because not, not me. Right? But God is saying, no, you. I came for you. And if you're here this morning and you realize that you're, you're sinful and that you need a position and that you're in need of help, right, that's, that's the prerequisites of being a follower of Jesus. And that's a prerequisite of being used of God. It's understanding that I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his grace. There's a parable in the gospel with the tax collector and the Pharisee. Right, a lot of times we need a dose of humble pie. Right, like if I'm standing next to Charlie, you know, I'm a pretty good looking man. I'm sorry. However, if I'm standing next to Ben, you know, his, I mean, Ben, super fly. I mess with you. Right? And that's the, that's the same thing with God. It's levels. It's levels. Right? Like, I think I'm a good basketball player when I'm, you know what I'm saying, with Ace. But with Anthony, dang, like, he just, he, he got me, right? It's, it's, le- like, it's levels. Like, when you're in the presence of God, you begin to see a proper view and perspective of who you are. Right? But nevertheless, it's just a wonderful thing, though. The Bible says whatever makes light or whatever makes manifest is light. God is wanting to come into your life, not to condemn you, but to change you and transform you into the image of his son. Because notice, Peter says, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. In another place in scripture, Jesus was telling people how he was the bread of life and how if you didn't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot follow me. You will not have eternal life. And the people said, you know what, you're saying some weird stuff, so I'm just going to, I'm a dip. I'll see you later, Jesus. Right? And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, listen, are y'all going to leave me too? And Peter says, where else shall we go? Like, we, we've no other place to go. You have the words of eternal life. But notice what he says here. He says, depart from me. Right? It's like he's saying he's casting off his hope. And that's what a lot of us do. A lot of us don't come to church. A lot of us don't go to God in prayer. A lot of us don't go in fellowship because we feel as though our sin and our darkness disqualifies us from coming into the presence of God. But Jesus speaks another word. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that sin was abounding. But where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that's what God is trying to say to us this morning. Sin abounds, sure. But where sin abounds, my grace is available to abound all the more. So much so to transform you and to restore you. And so look at what he says in verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. 
from now on, you will catch men. Right, so now Peter repents, and now he experiences restoration through Christ's word. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. I'm giving you a now more qualitative role, a qualitative task. You're not catching fish anymore, but you're going to catch men. You're going to catch men from the sea of condemnation, the sea of guilt and sin, and you're going to bring them ashore to the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what God is telling us this morning. If you've placed your faith in him, God is wanting you to join him in catching men alive and bringing them to know him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when I came to you preaching the gospel, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or persuasive words of wisdom, right? But I came to you in a demonstration of spirit and of power that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, right? Uh, Peter, again, could have easily just been like, Jesus, I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to cast this net into the sea, right? But we know that everything that we do, apart from him, we can do nothing, John says in John chapter 15. So whenever Jesus says something, we obey, right? We want to we obey. We want to take him at his word because his word is true, because his word is living, because his word is powerful, right? And now I'm going to close, and look at what he says in verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Right, and once you have an epiphany, once you experience and you have an encounter with God, and once you see everything for what it really is, it's hard for you to go back, right? It's hard for you to not be the same, right? Like if, if, if a friend of mine came to, to my house and he just told me, yeah, I just got hit by a truck, man, a 16-wheeler. And he's just standing there like, fine. I'm not going to believe him, right? <laughs> if you just got hit by a 16-wheeler, like, that's some pretty bad damage, right? Like, much in the same way, when you have an encounter with God, you don't come back the same. You don't come back the same, right? And so he says, so when they brought their nets to the boat, to the land, they forsook all and they followed him. They forsook all and they followed him. You got to think, in our day and age, some of us go to college, some of us get our master's, some of us get our PhDs to, to obtain this profession that we've been working all our life to do, right? So you got to think, it's not easy to just forsake all and follow Jesus. A lot of things will tell us like, mm, okay, Jesus, like, let me just do this for about five more years you know what I'm saying? And then I'll come follow you when it's suiting for me. But Jesus doesn't do that, right? Jesus calls us on his own terms, right? And it's not only that, though, but it's once you've experienced what Jesus has done for you, everything else in comparison pales. And you see that Jesus is worth forsaking all for, right? There's a famous quote by a missionary, Jim Elliott. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Pray with me, please.
Father God, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for your Holy Spirit. And we're thankful for your church. Father, we pray that as we walk with you, that you will continue to show us that your word is a short thing. And Father God, we pray that we would experience intimacy and fellowship with you. And Father God, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would empower us by your spirit to go in the confidence of your word and of your power to bring people to yourself. All these things we ask for in Jesus' name. Amen.